Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Tom Amenta was born in Chicago, Illinois, and grew up in the area before enlisting against his family's wishes in the United States Army on his 18th birthday. Following his five years as a member of the legendary 75th Ranger Regiment, Including two combat tours in support of Operation Enduring Freedom, Tom earned his degree in political science from the University of Illinois. Now, he spent the next eight years as the COO of the veteran lifestyle apparel company Ranger Up. He pioneered the veteran lifestyle apparel category and helped grow Ranger Up into the premier company in the space. While at Ranger Up, he passionately advocated for veterans' causes in multiple spaces, including lobbying Senate service committees. Leveraging the success at Ranger Up, he helped produce and starred in the only fully veteran-produced Hollywood movie, Range 15. He is a passionate advocate for veteran entrepreneurship and assisting veterans in transition, and that led him to authoring his first book, The 20-Year War. Now, this book is breathtaking, it's personal, it is raw and real. It has 71 gripping stories that you will not read anywhere else. The 20-Year War is a look into the journey of America's service members fighting in and then leaving behind a war that spanned over two decades. These 71 stories come from people like past guests, retired Ranger Battalion Commander J.C. Glick, who is a great friend of both of ours, former professional football player and Green Beret Nate Boyer, and former UFC fighter who is still active duty Special Forces Tim Kennedy to give you an indication of the caliber of warriors in this tremendous book. To pre-order a copy of The 20-Year War, go to 20yearwar.com, get multiple copies. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Tom, thank you for being here. We should have just hit record from the beginning, but I think that we have some some tremendous space that we can really expand on and some fertile ground to go into. So thank you for being here. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me, Marcus. I Like I said, when we were getting to know each other a little bit, it is truly a pleasure to be on with you and spend some time today. I was introduced to you through our mutual friend, JC, and I have, I've been a very large fan of this podcast for a long time. So I am truly honored to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm glad that the Stephen Pressfield interview was as exciting for you as it was for me. That guy. Amazing. Right? Like he's forgotten more about resistance than what you and I probably ever experienced in our lives. So it, Truly. And his story is, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, it's never too late to be who you might have been. And Stephen Pressfield just embodies that. And in, what was so cool about that interview was that, I mean, I've heard him interviewed before. You know, I've heard the Ferris interview that you mentioned and things like that. He felt so, he feels so at ease every time you're, you're reading or listening to, to the things he has to say. It's like, there's so much wisdom. And like you said, he probably has forgotten more about resistance than I know. And that's, that's something that your know, people have asked me to give talks about. I hear him. I'm just like, 
I, I'm so, so much farther down this road compared to others and I have so much more to learn. He's just, it was so impressive. It was a great interview. Yeah, he's he's amazing. I'm hoping to get to talk to him again at some point somewhere, whether it be in person or, you know, doing whatever or an interview. So that would be amazing. And you have an incredible story as well. Before we get into the book, tell us about, because a lot of people that listen to this are going to be CEOs, are going to be executives, are going to be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, because a lot of people now, you know, trying to create a brand or trying to create something. Yeah you sort of established the category. So now that gives people sort of this direction and almost permission to attempt it. Yeah, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, I was one of the the founders of military lifestyle apparel company, Ranger Up. Nick Palmaciano, who still is the CEO and was the original, like true OG of it, started as a hobby. Just he was finding a way to try to give back when he was getting his MBA at Duke. And so he started making these t-shirts for like the ROTC program. And right about when he was like, you know, this, this might really be a business. It was 2008, right in the teeth of the housing collapse. I'm trying to find a job as this multi-combat tour vet with, the, with this awesome great degree in political science. Because, you know, Lord knows that's definitely got gets in place in life, right? <laughs> you know? um, yeah. So I had been introduced to Nick through a mutual friend uh, who's a writer on the MMA scene that I had done um, a couple of articles for their site. And uh, we just vibed. And so Nick, you know, Nick gives me a call a few months later. I'm, I'm trying to find a job. I'm living with my then girlfriend in St. Louis. And he's like, Hey, I, I really want to do this. Like, let's really make this a company. I'm like, well, yeah, man, like, this is great. And I'm like, all right, well, what's the timeline look like? He's like, well, I, I need you here. You know, he's like, I, I need you Thursday. I'm like, Nick, Thursday's not a lot of time to make a decision. He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I need you here in Durham on Thursday. It's Monday. <laughs> And it was just one of those things, man. I just, I took the leap, you know, and it was, it was just a wild ride. It was just, it was just hold on and let's go. You know, we, we really believed in the authentic, what we call the authentic expression of service. Because at the time there were all of these, you know, death from above and skulls and flames and, you know, kill them all and let God sort it out. Or, you know, like K-bars and snakes coming out of Skull's mouth. Like, to this day, I still don't understand. Why is a snake coming out of the mouth, man? Like, why? Just, it, I don't get it. I never got it, you know? Meanwhile, we're making shirts that say my ops are blacker than your ops on it, you know, or, or a secret squirrel. It was meant to be, it's like, okay, like, let's show who we are. Let's actually show that. And then it just blossomed and we got some press in the military times and it took off. And then after that, it was, you know, okay, well, we really, we really believe in, you know, if you can't, if you can't fight, if you don't have some hand to hand skills then you can't really be at your best as a soldier, like you need to be able to close with and destroy. And that's in all spaces. And, you know, Tim was a part of the team. And so we started getting into the, the MMA scene and it, it just kept going. And, you know, it's one of those things I look back on it and I am so proud of everything that we did, but it also really is, especially someone who keeps creating content and things like that. It's, there's sort of a cautionary tale to it where we actually created the first sheepdog thing. We took Dave Grossman's concept that he had written about and we created the I am the sheepdog shirt, which now everyone does. Nick and I were joking on social media the other day. Like, I really hope that Mike Pompeo is dumb enough to use the phrase unapologetically American on a sticker or something like that so we can send him a cease and desist. Because, you know... That's not what we, we created and we trademark like that Ranger Up has, the parent company has a trademark for Unapologetic American. We came up with that as an expression of 
embrace being an American, embrace living in the greatest country in the world. It's actually that brand could have made a lot of money if we had skewed one way or the other. We we always tried and Nick has continued to try and live up to the spirit of keeping it very to the center because, and I think this goes back to my time in the service. And I also think that entrepreneurs find this is that an idea means different things to different people. What I think it means to be an American and what you think it means to be American are, are knowing our mutual friends and things like that, probably pretty similar. But what America means to, you know, my colleague just down the hall, it's probably very different. What America meant to the guy that is directly to my right in basic training who grew up literally in Compton, California, as a young black man all around gangs, his idea of America and my idea of America were very, very different. My battle buddy who grew up on a farm in New Hampshire, very different. But that's the beautiful and the wonderful thing about America. It's different things to different people. And that's where, to us, it's like, be unapologetically who you are. That was where, where it sort of started. Any entrepreneurial endeavor that I've had that has been successful is it boils down to the authenticity. If you're not authentic to your market, if you're not authentic literally to yourself, if you're just trying to be slick, you, you're going to be found out. And if you don't know who you are, <laughs> you know, old Morgan Freeman line and Batman, good luck. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, and I think that that was one of the lessons, especially we learned in that because we're trying to cultivate a lifestyle. And I think that what's really sort of sad is that a lot of people who assign that concept of the lifestyle, this immersion of the quote unquote vet bro, it really isn't a lot of veterans and it really isn't a lot of people that we are targeting. It's a lot of these people that for whatever reason have chosen to identify with things. They've chosen to identify as a gun guy. They've chosen to identify as, as this certain thing and without doing the work, I guess maybe is the way that I would say it, uh, to really understand why it is, to to really understand some of these ethoses of what, you know, like I said, Unapologetic Man is a great example why the joke of my ops are black and then your ops is funny. You know, if you've been in that community, you know, right? If you haven't been in that community, but you've been sort of community adjacent, you know, but if you've never been around those organizations, it just sounds cool, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to be cool. And it's one of those things that's just, I still struggle with a little bit, if I'm, if I'm being honest, is there's something about blazing a trail. And then the problem with blazing a trail is that once you do it, you're not quite sure who's coming behind you. And you're not quite sure who's going to be there too. And I'm accountable for my actions, right? I'm not necessarily accountable for the ripples of my actions, but somewhere along the way, like you kind of are, and then you kind of aren't. It's like how to detangle that equal and opposite reaction is, is certainly something that I have been fascinated with as I, as I watch sort of the evolution of things in the past few years. Well, and you brought up a, a great point about this idea of if you're not authentically yourself, if you don't know who you are, you'll be found out, but you'll also burn out because it's not sustainable to project onto the, like you said, if you don't even really know what the hell this thing is that you're trying to portray or mimic at best, right? Now that's, there's always going to be that veterans can sniff it out. We, we, we can tell. Yeah. And it's easy to repeat wide, wise words, but it takes real life to understand that wisdom. Yeah. And wisdom that is unearned is what you have to be the most careful of. And so many people now, they want to repeat that. They want to parrot the phrase, even often non-verbally. Yeah, it's like, mm -hmm. that's fine. But do you even understand where that comes from, what that's important, why that's important, and how many people now will regurgitate a philosophical phrase and have no clue what it really means, right? I, I just think that yesterday was one of the greatest examples, in my opinion, ever 
in so long of actions and the consequences of speaking without them. And that was when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff gets in front of Congress, Mark Miley, and he's being attacked about critical race theory. And his line of, I've read Mao, I've read Lenin, I've read Stalin, it doesn't make me a communist. It makes me well-read. So of course I want to read about something. He's saying, in a sense, I want to take the actions to learn the, the knowledge, to have the discussion, to gain the wisdom to make a decision. And the fact that that is, you know, it's like West Point's an institution of learning. The fact that that's even being questioned, we don't have time for me to give all of my opinions on certain things like that. But just the fact that when you strip all of it away, the fact that we are questioning a senior leader for all he is saying is all I want is the knowledge to have a conversation to ascertain the wisdom. That's not okay. We're trying to not just legislate that, but litigate that in real time. I, I was so, I was so impressed by his answer and I was so impressed that he stuck to his guns because in the face of that fire, but it also made me incredibly sad. I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, this is, this is what we should expect of our leaders. This is what we should expect of people in general. That should be table stakes, in my opinion, for life. Go seek knowledge. Go, go find a way to test that knowledge's validity and ascertain the wisdom from that. That's absolutely it. And we should be able to absorb wisdom irrespective of source. We should be able to separate the wisdom from the source. And you and I both understand if we don't know uh, a person who may be an adversary, if we don't understand their philosophical background, their belief, their ideology, their, their philosophy, their religion, if we don't understand that, there is no way that we can win. There's no way that we can even have an informed decision or opinion or conversation with that person. It's impossible. So if he was damned, if he did, damned if he didn't, no matter what it was, if it was this, it's like, oh, you're not enough this. And if you're over here, you're too much that. It's uh, again, it's the battle of semantics, but it's also again, scary. It's like, I, I consider myself very well read as well. And there's been plenty of stuff that I've read that I haven't agreed with. But even even like with Machiavelli, the prince or, you know, anything like that, we listen to this or read it not so that we do those cutthroat ideas, but so that we don't get, become victimized by people. So we don't get ambushed by it, right? You know, not just that, but I'm such a student of history. And I, and I think it's, I'm really glad you brought Machiavelli up because that's actually some place that I know really well. And I have a great story in college from that. Machiavelli the Prince is one of the smallest tombs of Italian Renaissance literature ever. And the history on why he wrote it was he was trying to save his own ass with the Medicis. They were angry with him. Yep. They were not like they were seriously thinking about killing him. And he was like, well, what can I do? Well, I'm a writer. So allow me to try and impart some wisdom to the young Medici ruler. This was a man who had written tombs books that were so thick, three volumes of Italian history, that if you ever go back and look up Machiavelli's book, was considered at the time, supposedly, his seminal works. It's thousands of pages. It is a, it's truly a life's work of Italian history. And no one reads it unless you go into you know, a class like I did for, you know, I, I took a, a specific history class of, of Renaissance Italian history. And the professor, she came in and she goes, I want to let all of you know we're not reading The Prince. Right, right off the bat, first class. And I raised my hand and said, why? And she goes, well, that's not his best work. And I'm like, it's his most culturally relevant work. It's his most timeless work. It's, you know, why? And she's like, well, I, and I was so floored. I was like, it strikes a chord. That, that book specifically, and so many other things, The Art of War, 
you know, your, your namesakes, the meditations, right? I think that if you look at a modern stoic, you know, why, why do Ryan Holiday's books hit so well? It's because it's the simplest form of the idea and there's an authenticity to all of it. And it's, it's, I mean, I read, you know, I don't know, 200 pages of, of what Machiavelli wrote about Italian history. And was it great? Was it not? I don't, I don't know. That's a litigation and there's so much time that's passed. But the line, I mean, the fact that you can take, you know, a movie that was one of the best movies of 2018, Atomic Blonde, and one of the central themes is the Machiavelli quote, it's a double pleasure to deceive the deceiver, right? There's something to that. There's an authenticity. I mean, that's, I think, a theme that's probably going to come up a lot. There's this this truism. And I agree with you. It's like, you can choose to be that bad actor. You can choose to be that mischievous person. And Machiavelli, frankly, gives you a pretty good script if you're prepared and disciplined enough to follow it. He also gives you a great playbook to how to watch out for it too. And I think that that's where the, like you said, is it's the knowledge and the wisdom of the application of knowledge. And knowledge can be a dangerous thing in the wrong hands. It really can be a sort of, you know, I have a, I have a very good friend who's an incredibly talented coder and he works to solve problems like solve hacks and things like that but if you wanted to be the hacker if you wanted to go after the colonial pipeline or you know the food supply that you know has been up there recently he is certainly talented enough to do that he has the knowledge and it's how he chooses to apply that knowledge is you know is how he sets his life how he charts his own morals and i just think that i would rather have that dangerous freedom than i would this expectation that we're gonna allow others to tell us don't just sit there just don't don't read it don't question it don't have this conversation but i'm just kind of a little nervous sometimes where i feel like that's what we're being told with increasingly volume is that our world has to go down to the 240 characters of tweet and if you didn't then it's not worth talking about and, th- and this is coming from someone who's pioneered social media to to do messaging to sell to craft message to to craft narrative like i'm certainly i couldn't help but watch the social dilemma and scream at that documentary and be like you guys are so full of shit facebook i really believe did make the like button to try and be inclusive but they very very quickly figured out it's a revenue making tool and i I was i'm one of the first million adopters of that platform like i've been on that thing before i had the like button you know i get it i I understand the poll and i certainly probably could have done a better job in my life to to be a little more of a good guardian of some of that it's it's just a wild time that we're living in (laughs) it really is it absolutely is. And a lot of people don't know that the Prince was not really published per se. It was given to the Medici, but it wasn't published to the rest of the world five years until five years after Machiavelli died. I mean, there's so much more to that. And there were other works that they found kind of in connection with that. So there's a lot of stuff there. And, and again, it, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the eye of the reader. And I love the point that you part of as well, where I don't care what side of the continuum you are, if you're left, right, if you're conservative, liberal, whatever, but it's about freedom of speech. Because if one person gets in power and they cut off this 20% of what our freedom of speech or what we can consume or what we can read, and then somebody comes from the other direction when they get elected and they pull off this other 20%, there's really nothing left other than the just bullshit, vanilla, mediocre middle, yeah. which nobody's reading anyway. Right. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You know, what goes around comes around. Like we, I could throw cliches out here for, for an eon, but there, there's some truth to it. And I think that the more that it becomes about the side, the less it becomes about, I'm not even going to say the truth because I, I think truth is, is subjective, but the farther you make it about a side, the more you push the polls and the more that you try and speak in absolutes, right? 
I had a conversation with a, a friend the other day and they were making a series of absolutist statements. And I just shrugged and I said, outside of the absolute that I will die at some point, I hate absolutists. And she's like, well, well why? And I'm like, because the truth is, is that you can make a statement that this is absolutely true. And if I can find one person out of the 12 billion on this planet, I have disproved your theory. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're 99.9999999% right. I might lean six sigma black belt. So I work with statistics by trade, you know, in marketing. And even the six sigma is a 99.999%. There's still a one, one, one ten thousandth of a percentage chance that it will go wrong. And when you start thinking absolutistly, when you start thinking in those purely black and white terms, what it really becomes, and I really think that we've seen this, I mean, we live in a time right now where with Google, there's never been more knowledge at the tips of your fingers. We have truly the library of Alexandria at our fingertips on our smartphones whenever we want it, for whatever we want. We're trying to reinforce our own biases. That's what the sociological data says so far. That's me as scary as hell, man. Because that absolutist behavior turns into this shield to guard you and your perception and, and not allow you to question, but to beat back the other side. Because now you're beating them with your facts or your concept of truth. At the same time, when you take a step back, there are so few things in this world that are as absolute as we want to say that they are. Life's complicated. Life's dirty. Life's messy. And just because he's been shown he's a friend of ours, it's one of the things I love the most about JC so much is that that man and I have had some really impassioned debates. I mean, if you didn't know we were friends, <laughs> you might get a little worried for me because I'm five foot six, about 160, and JC clocks in at about 6'2, 240, right? I mean, like he's a big dude. But it's like we can have those debates, but because we have that mutual respect, because we see that there aren't absolutes, and because we see that this debate is iron sharpening iron, and this is forcing us to really refine and sharpen that into question and to think our way through it. I just think that we're missing that. We're shouting at each other from this absolutist position. And we've got this shield up like the Spartans, like, oh, I'm blocking this out. And then at the same time, we just can't wait to whack someone over the head. And it's like, it's just not how we're actually designed as people. That's not how the world's, frankly, shown itself to evolve. So many people are more concerned about winning the debate than actually trying to learn or find what the truth is. And the truth is unchanging, but it is us, our understanding of it, that is ever evolving and ever changing. Yes. I remember reading Machiavelli when I was 25, and I was like, this guy's an asshole. This guy just wants to hurt people. He just wants to have power. But as I got older, it was like, this is more of a cautionary ideal. If nothing else, understand that this is how you would get ambushed by this person. Or, you know, Thick-Faced Black Heart by Chin and Chu, the same idea based on the 1911 work. Again, we're talking about how things get censored or things get pushed back. Thick-Faced Black Heart was censored in 1911 as soon as it was published. So that's an indication that I want to read that book. I want to know what was so powerful that it scared all of the people over there at that time, if for no other reason than to understand what motivates that person. Again, that signaling. What was so dangerous about that? And then how does that strike a chord in me? Again, even reading different things from different people, there can be a lot of truth in that. And if I find out that it's from a person that I don't agree with or a person like who is you know, a, a monster... Does that change the truth in what they said? Does that change that maybe I shouldn't at least pay attention to what they're talking about, if for no other reason than to not let that to happen again in my life? Yes. I think you also have a thing where you look at literature or philosophical works, and I think that you've got to remember that they're a moment in time. There are movements right now in the United States to ban 
to kill a mockingbird because it uses the n-word look at when she wrote that look at the look at the time in our american history mark twain's works the exact same way both times were anhockman that makes me so uncomfortable because it's like so we're going to disown our history the truth can be subjective sometimes some of the themes in that book aren't the truth they were written by authors through fiction to convey ideas and they are certainly supported by their times in the most generous way that you want to be positive or or the most critical way if you want to be negative like those those things stand up to those fact checks if you will so i mean why are we sticking our head in the sand why are we trying to tell children don't read this like why why was it okay for me in you know the early 90s as an as a preteen or, or teen to read that but now we can't what's 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 changed in society that makes us fear our past. And I genuinely don't know, Marcus. Like it's, it's one of those things that when I have a glass of wine and I'm sitting on the couch and I just go down the deep ADD rabbit hole that exists in my brain, it's something I've thought about before. It's like, I just don't, I don't know where this fear of the unknown and this fear of not understanding it just, because at the end of the day, that's just something that I'm noticing more and more sort of in society is that the things that we are scared about rather than sort of stepping up and saying, I'm going to confront this we lash out at anyone who pokes at that fear. And I'm making broad generalizations here. And I should be really fair to that. But I, I just I just notice it. And it's the book was the inspiration. Part of what was so powerful about the 20-year war project for me was that it was the opportunity to just tell someone's story. When I heard their audio files, it's a really, really simple format for all of their vignettes. And we have the portrait and then it's what did you do in the service? What inspired you to do that? brief sketch of your where you deployed things like that what your transition was like and what you're doing now this simplicity is by design in part because we just want these people to be able to tell who they are their truth you know and i wouldn't even say truth i'd say their experience you're also a veteran and, and the thing that exhausts me about being in that space and honestly friends of mine that have been in you know smaller subgroups of society which is so exhausting is having to explain to it as the break someone's inertia about who they think you are being a veteran is a lot of things it's the one quote-unquote minority group in the united states that you actually opt into <laughs> that you sign up for willingly yeah intentionally so of course i'm i'm a dumb meathead automaton droid who moves out like a t-800 cyborg right nah man hang out for five minutes over my shoulder you can see the plaque that i got actually from the, the s3 shop when when jc and i served together and instead of saying, thank you for your faithful and devoted service, or that typical thing, mine says better a smart ass than a dumb ass on it. One of my sergeant majors, my ROP sergeant major, didn't refresh his Outlook box. And I had sent him a report. And so I go into his office. And I'm like, Sergeant Major, I'm going to fix this for you. And you're going to be really upset with me. I'm like, I'll do the push-ups. But like, I'm telling you, I sent you the report. And now I'm going to show you that I did. And so, of course, I this was you know 2003 before outlook auto refreshed right so you so he didn't do it and then i did it and it pops up along like eight other things that he needed apparently so our command sergeant major at the time a gentleman wise wise man named greg birch former um operator you know in the unit and things like that um as i'm doing push-ups now i'm just hazing sergeant major Rhodes, like ah pushing sergeant major for your lack of on ah yes i will continue to and birch looks over at him and goes well hugh established one thing about Sergeant Amenta Day, and that is better than a smart ass than a dumbass. <laughs> that's my veteran experience, right? That's probably not yours. It's not a lot of people's and that's okay, you know, but it's it's having the ability to tell 
what your experience is. I think that that we're trying so hard to find and tell people what it should be that we're stopping or we're not listening as much to what people say their experience is. And that I think that's, you know, that's an action that needs to happen more. That active listening is a lost skill. And I'm hoping we can find a way just by saying this is who I am, these 70, 71 veterans having that story that we can start that conversation, at least for the veteran and civilian community to increase that dialogue. Because I think it's sorely needed. And I don't just think it's veteran to civilian. I think that it's, that it's everywhere. Somewhere along the way, we have, we have to stop telling you this is how it should be and, and start asking the question of why do you feel like this? I think that applies everywhere. I think there's, I think that we as a nation and, and really we as sort of a world society right now, especially post COVID, especially with this isolation has only sort of reinforced this inner dialogue of, of me. And instead of asking about the we, and I'm, I'm hoping as, as the world opens up and get back to that, truly I am. I agree. I, um, when I was interviewed by Jerry Colonna on his reboot podcast, I, I said this, but we have to listen, like you said, actively, but it has the reason why empty and empathy are spelled so similarly is because if we have empathy, we have to empty ourselves of expectation, of desire, of preconceived notions, of prejudices, yes. of past experiences. And we just have to be there and listen to what this person's feeling. Again, that cognitive reframe, what happens to a person, the event is neutral, but how we respond to it, the meaning that we get to that, then the emotion that is evoked from that, then the thoughts that are follow that and the potential actions, those are all so different for each individual mm-hmm. person that it's really impossible. Like you said, you can't say this person is a veteran, therefore, or like you said, oh, it's a, this is a guy, this guy's shaved head and he rucked with 80 pounds on right. his back, you know, just to, to stay in shape. That's just a, a very small sliver. That's superficial. Right. That's not even the beginning of, of where I start or, or mm-hmm. where I end. But at the same time, to a person who likes that, I'm perpetuating the stereotype that they like to a person who feels offended by that, or maybe even is afraid of the warrior component that may make them feel, you know, anxiety, anxious, whatever it is. But if we can empty ourselves of those ideas and truly have empathy, we can put those things on the shelf for a moment and connect to that human being. Yes. And I think that's why this book is so powerful because it, the way that Bo shoots it, the way that he has that, that very organic, raw, real look to him. When I was talking about it, my wife's a photographer, but she shoots digital because that's what she does a lot of portraits. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of stuff like that. But for him to shoot old school film, yes. he only has 10 shots per roll. That makes everything that he does with so much more intention, yes. so much more specificity, so much more quality, as opposed to a person who just got, got a shotgun blast mm-hmm. of, I'm going to hit a dozen of these and I'll pick the three that I like. It's like, no, this has to be something you really want. Yeah. Because once you hit that, once you squeeze that trigger, You've only got nine left. Yeah. So, and he, and then film, you know, he just doesn't really edit. It's just, it's the shot, you know. And I, I looked at mine and I was like, oh, you know, I turned 40 this year and he took it right for my 40th birthday, pretty much. I'm like, I look so much. And I, I still had the beard at the time. I'm like, oh, I look so much. I, like, I looked my age. And I, I think that sometimes, like, with that reframe and so that empty, like, I had to remind myself who I see myself with. Sometimes, even when I just casually look in the mirror, who, like you really didn't catch that. It was a great, it was a great reminder. I just looked at, I texted him right away. Like, dude, this is just incredible. And then it was my former business partner, Nick said, he goes, Oh yeah, he's got your typical angry Tom look on your face. too." <laughs> so, you know, it was one of those where, you know, it, it, there was certainly a capture of, I'm, I'm a very intense person by nature and it's, and I'm really very driven and, and, and Nick calls it angry Tom, but it's just that 
fire for me. Like, let's go. It's it's time to it's time to go. And he got it. And I just thought it was incredible. He is so and he did that yeah. for so many people. I mean, the exercise that we did. So we took all the portraits and everything on the book. We put the entire book up on the wall in Dan's office. And then we start moving things around, like where they're gonna where how we're gonna order the book, where they're gonna go and everything. And so we get done and then the marketer he's like, all right, here's the deal. And I handed him all a different pad of stickies. And I go, right, you guys have 10 portraits and put next to that, like what you think the best 10 pictures that we have are. And all three of us agreed on, on four, I think it was three or four. And then it went completely haywire. And then it was like, okay, well then why do you love this one so much? What is it about you know, and then it was like the we had to convince you know each other to like you know, change your vote and stuff. And eventually we got to you know our top ten, and then I was like, okay, great, we've got what well, we think are our, our strongest strongest ten pictures. Now it's five. Now it's three. Now what's the one you know that we're really going to mm-hmm. to to show if we only have one you know one opportunity? Like what is it? And that was ours. Truly, it, it was not an easy exercise, and it was because of everything we said, like there's authenticity in, in those portraits, like those veterans really chose to give their empathy and tell their true story. And it's also the only project that I've ever done with content. And, you know, between range 15, the movie between Ranger up writing, I've been really blessed to be able to do a lot in content creation. And there's always a struggle to, to make the art, right. There's always this, the war. Yeah. There's always this, nobody said no on this project like it's insane like even in the 11th hour where we're like trying to figure out okay well, we need some more recommendations you know or, or or some you know some testimonies from the book and jc jumps into action picks five people and all five of them are like yep we're in including david Petraeus, which i'm like i'm literally reading what he wrote i'm like wait no one it, it's it's you know now the entrepreneurial side of, of selling the book and marketing the book and like all the typical like business stuff that is certainly lived up to its, you know, one step forward, two steps back entrepreneurial endeavor. We can talk about that if you want to so far, but it's like for the creation, for the community to embrace others in it and help everyone in this book. It's entirely word of mouth. Just, it was like, Hey, you're in it. You're a good dude. You should meet my friend. They've got a great story. Oh, I love this. This was so cool. Now you need to meet my friend. They've got a story. And you know, it's even one of those things where Dan and I both being veterans, like we've had our friends reach out on social media. I was like, oh, hey, by the way, thanks for asking me to be in your book, dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and then you're like, oh, like, because they're like, I really wish I had asked Fred. He's got a great story. Or, I, you know, it would have been fun to, you know, to go down to wherever and chop it up with, you know, it's, ne- I, I, will, I, I, I tell the guys all the time, like, we'll never have a project like this again. I mean, we could, we could be, the the greatest content producers in all of this great world and it will never be like this one and i am so grateful for everyone who chose to be a part of this and i'm I'm so grateful for the reception to to the work and to the content and the reception because like we've been talking about that authenticity i think on some levels is so lacking right now in our world and the fact that these 71 people had the the consciousness and the the courage of that consciousness to be who they are and to you know put it on a front street it's powerful and it's something that I think that, that we it's such a it seems like such a cliche platitude in when people say stuff like this, but I really am honored to have been able to do it. Like to be the vessel, to be the writer, to like to take those audio files and turn them into a story. And sometimes I was really hard 
Marcus, because I, you know, you have a character limit. You have this, you know, I can't make this, you know, it's 224 pages. I can't make it 500. You know, there's, there's a consideration to it. And it's, you know, one veteran in particular, I finally had to go back to her because her story and my story through life was so similar. I'm like, Hey, I want this to be your story. So like, I'll frame it, you know, I'll, I'll get it rough, but I really am going to need you to help me and take the pen a little bit to, to nail this down because I don't want Tom Momentous voice becoming your voice. It's not just because we have similar experiences through life. You know, Sophie, instead of grabbing a 40 liter backpack to go all the way around the world, when she sort of hit her thing, she, uh, she bought a Mercedes Sprinter van and lives out of her van and has been touring all around the United States. And uh, there's so much shared connection. There's so much people come from so all different places and are in all different stages in life. But there's that, that connected thread, those bonds of service and kinship and, you know, service and you know, hard work and things like that. There's all through it. And it's just so amazing to read you know, the similarities of where, where so many of these veterans end, but the differences and the different roads that they got to, the different actions they took to find the places that they are, that's so incredible to me. It's just, it's so much fun to to see that and to see sort of the, the community and how it sort of forms. You, you get this little microcosm and it's a lot of fun. Well, it's also really powerful to, whenever we're in the heat of battle, when we're close to it, it looks a certain way. But when we've had distance and time and experiences and loss and victory and love, it can make us look back on that in the past and it may change a little bit of it. And it makes us maybe even question not only the actions that we took or the person that we were, but how we even perceive that to be. So this is for a lot of people, it's almost a form of catharsis where they're able to kind of talk about this. And as they're speaking or as they're getting it out there, they're having these revelations mm-hmm. and these kind of breakthroughs, these ideas of, wow, I didn't even, you know, connect those dots or just like this conversation, you're done with the conversation, but yet that will continue to perpetuate and that residue will just continue to move in that momentum. And all of a sudden there's all this healing or maybe this, these opportunities that they didn't yeah. see in that, in that yeah. moment. No, I, so it's powerful. Really hope that that's the case for, for some of these vets that I, I mean, for me, it, it definitely, and I know for Dan, just we've had those conversations of, of just going through it. And I had sworn I was never going to do anything in the veteran space again for a while because I, after Ranger Up and after Range 15, and then, you know, I, I'd taken a job in like security. So I was sort of like veteran adjacent and it just didn't go very well. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm really, I didn't like the landscape on some levels. I didn't like where some of the, some of it was moving, you know, where the, you know, this, we're going to shoot guns and have American flags and, you know, max freedom, right? Which sometimes I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Because I, I mean, one of my, one of my mantras in life is discipline equals freedom. Like, you know, I know Jocko's got the market kind of cornered on it, but he wasn't the person who invented it, right? You know, and it's just, Not at all. you can't, you know, like I, you know, for example, I have a whiteboard in my office and it's my, the sayings to myself, right? And, you know, the quotes that I really, really like as reminders, especially when I'm, frustrated and the one that i most recently wrote up there was good talk no one cares just grind and it's sarcastic me to whiny me because you you know i can choose to click over to a new window and go check and see if my chicago cubs are are winning or not right no in the middle of the day or i can bite down and grind and keep going and have that discipline to to perform at a high level and you know i just i wasn't seeing that in in sort of the community i saw it was all the ancillary it was all the fun and it was none of the work or 
some of these content producers have gotten so good and they're so talented that you don't even see all the hard work that it takes to produce what they're, you know what I'm saying? Like it looks so easy. It looks so yeah. seductive, you know, it's, and it's everything that's worth doing is, is, is worth working for. It's, and I was, I was really tired of that. And then, you know, Dan called me and he's like, Hey, actually that, you know, I, I'd done a podcast with uh, another Dan, a friend of mine who was a, who's a Navy currently in the Navy. And he's like, some things you talked about really spoke to me and I'm, I'm kind of doing this project. And like, I was hoping you could help. I'm like, well, what do you need? And he's like, uh, like really, I just need contacts. I need, you know, I need, I need your black book ranger up and stuff. And I was like, yeah, man, like no problem. And, um, the funniest thing I got so excited when he pitched it to me, Marcus, that the first thing that I did, the first email I sent was to Bill Butler, who's the chief of staff, of the national veterans Memorial museum. So excited to like, tell him about my buddy and everything. I didn't put a subject line in it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, you gotta check this out. And this is so great. And they need some help. And you know, you want to. And then I like, and then I look and it's just no subject. I think I actually, JC, I think it was either JC or general Votel who was gracious enough to do the board for the book was like the next one. So I was really like obsessed about like, cause because JC would have handed me my butt for that. He would have been like, like, oh, hey, sure, no problem, Ranger buddy. But, you know, next time, you know, maybe getting the bottom line in front, you know, what the subject line is supposed to be. And so, like, I was like, all right, I got to make sure that I do this right. And then, you know, it was, again, it goes back to, it's like, I just, I did that. And then, you know, the guys were like, hey, um, you know, we kind of have a hole for the writing of this. And we know you're a writer. Would you be in? And I was like, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. And it started this journey. And we really started the project in earnest in January. And, nail it down and just sent yeah uh, of, of this yes. year yes yeah so so just like all entrepreneurial ideals without a deadline time means nothing and once you knew that it was something that you wanted to do you're like we have to get on this now well right? not only that but i mean if we had tried to pitch this assignment like let's say we had we had magically had like an agent a literary agent and they gone to simon and schuster a big house and random house whatever and and pitched this they'd have laughed him out of the room but i'm like you can't get that done like there's no way like 71 you're gonna go across the country you're gonna you're gonna need this absurd advance just to cover the travel like no get out Bo hopped in his car sixteen thousand miles 42 states in like yeah back and forth six yeah. weeks when it's all said and done you know between like there's some breaks and stuff yeah just ground i uh you know for my day job i accepted you know i'm the director of marketing for a, for a security company i'd accepted that role but i was still in chicago i'm now in omaha so I was traveling back and forth, basically living a consultant lifestyle. So Bo is like uploading the files to me. I am sitting in the hotel lobby bar. Uh, by the way, shouts to Sherry at the Embassy Suites in La Vista for the very, very nice free wine Cabernet heavy pours. They got me through writing. So thank you very much. I'm not even kidding. Like, like she knew me right away. She's like, oh, more book stuff, huh, Tom? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and like, we're just doing that. And it's like, and then it's the upload. And then like, you know, we're sending it to our editor, Trevor at, at Dallas. And he's, and he's just grinding out. And then him and I are like going back and forth, like the next morning and the cycle just starts over and over and over again. I love the work on a creative project. And I, for me, I love the process and Dan loves the process. Bo loves the process. And that's the one of the things I would say to any entrepreneur. I love the process at Ranger. The happiest time I think in my life probably was that first probably 12 to 24 months of Ranger up where I started living next Nick's guest bedroom. I am dead ass broke. I mean, I am 
not only living off my credit cards, Marcus, I'm living off my credit cards that have like three thousand dollars credit limits, right? Like, you know, when I say this, you know, this is right. Only, only the power of a mid of a mid twenties dream and the audacity that the Ranger Regiment instilled in me to believe that I could do this. Like, my parents were not super huge on me going into the military at all. Like, that was a big, and they thought I was flat out fucking crazy. So, oh, so we're in the middle of this, you know, housing crisis where no one can get a job. And your solution to this is to check notes, leave the stable relationship that's housing you to a medical physicist, by the way, promise you they always have jobs, go halfway across the country to live in some dude's guest bedroom to make checks notes, t-shirts. That's your solution to this problem. I'm like, yeah, that's my solution to this problem. Pretty much, and, yeah, that's a and man, and every single day it was just a grind. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And on a, on some levels, that's that's how it is right now. Like I love my day job. I'm super fulfilled and I'm super happy. And I have a very supportive boss. And I'm so appreciative of that to the point where he, you know, when I when I got hired, I told him, like, by the way, I have this content, you know, this book and this content creation thing that I'm doing, and I'm not giving it. Like, and his thing was, I love entrepreneurs. I'm like what? I'm like, I'm waiting, like, you know, I'm waiting like, for that to be like my negotiations ticking point. I'm like, I've got like all my, like, I love entrepreneurs. He goes, you know, look, he goes, if you need more time than your PTO, you might need to accept that you're not going to get paid for a day if, if we can make that work. Like, he's like, you know, I'm here to run a business, but you will learn lessons and you will, and he goes, and you seem like the person who can apply them in other places. And that's good for my business. Yeah. That knowledge transfers, you know, and it's actually really funny because he saw the interview that we did with Fox and Friends, the first thing we did for the book, and it actually inspired him to pivot a project. And then I needed him to do a video for, our, we're doing a brand refresh and I wanted to reframe some of our marketing and some of our messaging. And because he had seen all that and he had, he had asked me like, well, how did you get prepared for that interview that was so polished? And I'm like, well, we rehearsed like insane. And, you know, it gave me the credibility with him, you know, the CEO of a $180 million firm to walk in with the script and like I'd underlined, I don't know if you do this when you're getting ready, but I underlined the keywords and I underlined my key phrases. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to tell you, you got to read this word for word or read it off the teleprompter. Like I understand that you have to, I said, but these are the key phrases and we need to hit these notes or we are not accomplishing our goal. And I highlighted one line. And I'm like, listen, I know you think this is cheesy. I know that you're not quite good, but the audience will dig this. And this is how we land the plane. And I need to know right now, if you're still down for that, or if I've got a like 11th hour redraft list, it's like, no, I'm good. But you don't have, I mean, I, I wouldn't have had that credibility here as a new person in my organization. I wouldn't have been able to if I wasn't doing this entrepreneurial thing, if I wasn't out there working. And I think that's one of the things that you know you mentioned, and I know that you have a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of dreamers and a lot of people with their hustle, is you will always learn something. Failure is when you quit and you learned nothing. That's really what I believe. I've been lucky where the, the companies that I've, I've helped found or been a part of have been pretty successful. But the one that just fell flat on its face almost immediately. I learned more from trying to get that thing off the ground and, and lead balloon it in very, very short order than I did from all of the success things at Ranger Up. I learned more saying that it wasn't good enough to do something and to do it again for, you know, we had one holiday season where we had a printer just royally screw up. I'm like, we can't meet your deadline. And I'm like, I'm coming up there. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh no, you're going to do it. And I rented a box truck, hopped in it. I drove halfway across the country. They still weren't done. I started 
running the printing press with them, got back with about six hours to spare. I, I mean, literally, like I went home and went to bed and they, they finished putting words out. But it was like, you can accept failure, you know, and you can ac- accept not living up to your word. And I think that there are times where it's like, through all the best intentions, you just don't quite get somewhere. But man, if you have the option, if there's a way and you choose to act, if you choose to put that will out there, you will learn more in that crucible, even if it's just simply going up to someone and having a hard conversation saying how you feel, right? Like you don't need to drive all across the country and have this great story. Like, you know, it's like, I just use it because it's one of those things that everyone understands. Like, that's nuts. I mean, you didn't sleep for two days to print some t-shirts. Like, why not refund some of the money? It wasn't about the money. It was about the holiday gift that someone had expected and we were going to provide. It was, it wasn't about the item. It was about what the item represented. It was about the standard. Yes. And you have to have that, you know, stand for something or fall for anything. Right. But man, that was the grind. Like those were in those first 24 months. And that was some of the best times I've ever had right now. I mean, sort of one of the best times in my life ever. And I've never been busier. Honestly, I've never been more tired. Like I told, I told one of my friends, you know, here in the office, they Rump smoked. I am like, and he's a he's a combat vet too. I'm like, I go. I don't mean like tired. I mean I am smoked. And he's like, well, good thing it's the weekend and you can go to bed. And he starts laughing. <laughs> I go, no, he goes, you're gonna have to use book stuff, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to. But I love the process, and I think that when you find your things you're passionate about in life, especially if you're an entrepreneur, the the advice that I always give veteran entrepreneurs when I work with them or, or I do something, like, listen, if you You've got to make money. Okay. You've got to have a living. You've got to, you know, entrepreneurship can provide you the freedom and the financial flexibility to carve out your ideal life, whatever that may be. And I'm not here to judge that. But if all you're doing is because you came up with a business plan and you think that you can get a 60% gross margin against minimal operating thing and you're just going to get rich, that's your only reason for doing this. Turn back now because everything is going to take longer and cost more than you think always, every everything is as smooth as this book was to put together and as as just a almost miracle of veterans coming together for a common cause and being so supportive and so affirming to tell these stories the business side of this has been exactly like every other entrepreneurial there's it has had its bumps it has had its challenges it has had its going to shoot somebody, you know, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to go lift weights. Like, but I'm thinking about it. Right. <laughs> you know? That's because that's in my head. Right? In, I've already shot him three times. Exactly. It's in my, in my head. I've absolutely already killed you three times. Call back on Ranger up, by the way. <laughs> Hold on. You know, <laughs> that's good. That call was, that was great. Um, that's why you're the professional. And that's why I'm the guest. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, that is going to happen in every, every single thing. You know, I heard this from someone. It's like, at some point, you're going to go through the valley of despair. You're going to start off high and it's this new endeavor and you're great. And then you're going to crater. And then you have to decide, are you going to walk back up that hill? Or are you going to say no more? And if all you're doing it is for the money or if all you're doing it is for the fame or all you're doing is for this, this concept of prestige that you have in your head, you made the wrong choice. And you're going to find out in a really, really hard way Usually, I I just I've never seen someone succeed like that. You've got to do it because you love it. You've got to do it because you're committed to it. Your widget or or your service or your idea means something to you. The opportunity and the ability to put this creation out there 
matters and has gravity to you. And you want to know what, if that's really what it is, and even if it quote unquote fails, it'll never fail because the lessons that you learned, the places that you did. And I've talked to people before where I'm like, listen, I love your passion. I love what you're trying to do, but I'm concerned about your model. I'm concerned about your numbers. I'm concerned about what you're doing. And I think that you need to rethink that. Like there's always a business component to it, but if you don't have, you know, I've had someone like, Hey, you know, great. And they decided to shelve it. And then I've had some people that are like, I'm going to push on. I am not going to let this stop me. And the three or four times that's happened, you know, I can think of one that ultimately was successful and he pivoted a little bit. You know, he, he took myself and a couple of other people, some counsel and realized he needed to change things, but he was that, that committed. And I've heard, you know, I saw a couple other where the business concerns were valid and it didn't work. But I also can say that all of them were like, what I learned and I grew and I know what I'm going to do next time when I find that next great idea, you know, and I'm going to ask these questions to see if it's valid. And if it is, that's how you change the world. I like it's, it's not, you don't wake up one day and wave a magic wand, right? You grind, you bite down on your mouth guard and every single day you step in and, you know, sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes, sometimes you're absolutely the nail, but you, you never stop. And I, I think that's the beauty of it. And I think that that's, you know, I mean, especially with, you know, the, the title of your podcast, I think entrepreneurship on some levels is the ultimate action. It has to be. You, you, you cannot be absolutely. passive and be an entrepreneur. You cannot just sit back and you know you create the ripples, you create the waves, you go out there and every single day you are fighting to get someone else to see what you see. And man, when that happens, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world, right? You're just like, yes. And it's also hard because you believe in it so much and someone just found that particular way, that particular chink in your optimistic armor. And man, those are the ones that hurt the most. Oh, like, you know. My boss could come into my come into my office right now, even though it's after hours, and just rip me up and down for some work product. And I mean, I'm not gonna be happy about it. Don't get me wrong, but whatevs, you know, it's it's the job, right? If I if I had a good reason for what I did, it's it's a lesson and move on. But when someone's like, you know, I mean, I think you should use that color on the book. I'm like, oh, like, Lord, you, you know, I'm so I'm so much more ready to just go after it. You know, I'm so much ready to. To, to be that guy and it's I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it's it's certainly how I feel about it when we're in any kind of endeavor and I think that that's what the military teaches us when you have a mission you know it, it doesn't matter it, uh, you're tired everybody's tired yeah. you're hungry nobody's mm-hmm. hungry. You're, th- you're thirsty yeah welcome to it that's that's part of it now what do you do right. now where are you going to go so adversity strips away all the shit that we're not to show you what you really are and sometimes you're not proud of it. Sometimes it sucks and it's supposed to because if it's easy, you won't respect it. And that's why, again, that's why it tastes so much sweeter when we get to that place of success. And that's what I believe gives veterans an unfair advantage, so to speak, compared to an average, an average entrepreneur who's in love with the entrepreneurial romanticism yeah. and they, they are on social media all day and they think that all they have to do is create a widget or a course yeah. and buy a click funnel and now they're going to be a multi-billionaire in three months. And then when that doesn't happen, they become disenchanted, which that disenchantment is the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey in my mind. The ideas and everything that starts up, that's not really it. When you fall down, when you get punched in the Mm -hmm. mouth and now you're like, I don't know if I can do this or I don't think I want to do this anymore. Now you figure out just like what you were saying before, when you're tired and you don't want to go on, if you feel burned out, you have to ask yourself, Am I burned out or am I just not doing the right thing for the right reason? Mm-hmm. 
So you have a powerful, compelling why for why you're working so hard on this book. You know that failure is not an option and you know that you're going to get across the line. So again, I can, how do I want to feel on the other side of this? Mm, Absolutely. Do I want to have my head up or do I want to sit there and say, oh, well, I was tired. Oh, well, I didn't feel like putting in the work. Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Listen, guys, the time's going to pass anyway. Mm -hmm. What you do with it between now and then is what matters the most. And how you stand up in the face of adversity indicates how you will do everything else in your life. Yes. So don't sit there and cry and complain about it. Nobody owes you anything. You have to work for everything that's worth having. And if you think that somebody's going to try to tell you something different, they're probably trying to sell you something. And if it's free, you are the product. That's the idea. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's it. So I know that we... We've gone quite a bit here, but I would like to ask you the question that I asked even Pressfield, which is, I've never met anybody that's been successful that hasn't gone through adversity. Mm-hmm. Usually there's a direct correlation to how much adversity you go through and overcome or at least acknowledge, mm-hmm. and then the, the direction of success that you get. Can you tell us about an adversity in your life that at the time felt like, how the hell am I going to get past this or what do I do at this next point? that at the time seemed insurmountable, but then when you got through it, you found the, the gift on the other side. So mine, I think, was was personal. I had a genuine crisis of faith because, you know, and I've talked about this in other places, which it, this could be ours. I went from being an Army Ranger to working in radio in college and, and booking to Ranger Up and this rocket ship of, of a ton of success to leaving Ranger Up you know, just because Nick and I had some disagreements about direction and things like that. But right after we had done Range 15, and now we're the best Amazon movie three weeks in a row and all this stuff. And then I leave Ranger up and I'm struggling with that a little bit. I'm in a bad job. And then my now ex-wife leaves. And for someone else and just this. And it's like, I went from feeling like, you know, having my identity wrapped up in these specific things of all of this adversity of this, and suddenly now I'm in a crisis of faith. And now I genuinely, Marcus, don't know who I am. Like in an entrepreneurial problem, the solution, you can read a book, right? You can, you know, but what do you, what do you do when you're not quite sure what your moral compass is anymore? Like, what do you do when you're not like, you look in the mirror and you're wondering, who the fuck am I? that was that was the real burner for me that was the you know i was also in this just very bitter very frustrated and so it's like and i was like okay i i'm i'm gonna do the thing i don't do and i'm gonna take a break because normally my you know the captain america line is like you can't always punch your way out of this like no no no, no. i was always like i can punch my way out of this sure no problem no I, so I, I grabbed a backpack and i went and i traveled all the way around the world and i did it by myself i made myself like the great thing about the scenery changing, like the one constant was me. How I got through it was I forced myself to deal with myself. And by the way, he's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> and aren't we you all? Know, and that doesn't, I don't think that that works for everybody. I don't think, you know, certainly people do not have the means that I did of having been able to say, sell equity stakes and things like that. And, you know, like I, I understand I had a certain level of privilege in being able to do that, but. That was what I had to do for me and at that time. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Through that, I learned my yoga practice. And I, I'm not great at meditation. I've tried, but yoga is meditation for me. It's that kinesthetic meets having a deal with my head and going to Shavasana at the end of a flow and, and forcing myself to be still, right? Like I've given my body what it needs and, and all these things and forcing myself to be still. You know, and that was what came out of it. It was, you know, some coping mechanisms mechanisms now that I have to know, like, like it is a speaker. I'm like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a very nice glass of red wine. 
I'm going to eat some decent food and I'm going to go to bed early. And I don't care that it's Friday night and I don't care that it's because that's where I am. And then I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to go accomplish my task. Old me is like, nah, I forget it. We'll do it live, right? You know, like, we're going to, wow, I have people from work or a happy hour, and, you know, because this is what I'm supposed to. No, man. Like, you know, it's finding that authenticity. It was, it was this five month continuous look in the mirror. That was how I got through that adversity of rediscovering who I was because at least for me, hard work solves a lot of sins and being able to be objective or having people in your life that you can be objective. I'm blessed to have mentors like that when it comes to business. Like you just have to have the authenticity and the courage to say, this is where I'm at and ask the question. And I've just been lucky enough that that's happened pretty consistently, but I've, I've had a much harder time dealing with me with dealing with being told I wasn't going to make it in the Rangers by my family and then doing it being, being told I'm making a mistake and then going and succeeding. Like, you know, my demons are always really sort of self-directed in this really like not listening to that voice in my head and just getting so wrapped up in the accomplishment, right. In the drive that I miss, not necessarily why I'm doing it, but having the, the authenticity to enjoy it and to not put my own personal, to actually be, have an identity of Tom Amenta, not Tom, the entrepreneur, not Tom, the director of marketing, not Tom, the insert, the thing I'm trying to accomplish here, but it's actually, no, my name is Tom Amenta and this is who I am. So that's, that's what I had to do for that. So I give you that opportunity to let go of the other stuff yeah. to kind of find who you are. And that's what happened to me when I was injured and I was, I had to stay in that bed for months. It's like you have no yeah. other choice. And like you were said, when you were traveling, it makes us shift to a different kind of gear. We fire on a different cylinder because we're in this environment where there is no consistency mm-hmm. and everything is in upheaval. There is that chaos, but within that chaos is the opportunity and you were able to seize that. Yeah. So I think that takes tremendous courage for a lot of veterans transitioning from the veteran world into the civilian world is the most difficult, but for you, you were able to, to go into that success. And for some people, they don't understand that being at these levels like this, anything in excess eventually becomes its opposite. And you were able to come back to that center point. And I think that's why you're able to have such a powerful connection to your source, to your, whatever your tone is now. And that's what's allowing you to do the things that it's doing with this book. So thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. It's the truth. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to be respectful of your time. Where can we learn more about the book? Where can we order the book? So it's 20 year war, all spelled out. Dot com. That's where it is. Also, if you're on Amazon, it's it's there as well. But go to the website, everybody. Yeah. Go yeah. to the website, people. Go don't, to 20yearwar.com. I mean, that's where we are, and we'll also be donating 15% of all of those books to various nonprofits that support veteran causes. So that's we what go. we're doing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to talking to you many more times after this. Hopefully, I'll get to meet you in person and give you a big old hug, you and yeah. JC and me. And- have a great time. I, I look forward to it, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, my friend. Bye, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.